Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. I am here with Cynthia Samanian. She is the CEO and founder of the Culinary Creator Business. And she has had a quite a ride to get here to do what's truly right for her to be her her wolf and bring some really good stuff to the world. So, Cynthia, I kind of want to start at the beginning. You are the daughter of immigrant parents. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people know out there when you have immigrant parents, they're, well, every parent has expectations, but I think from the people I've interviewed and the people that I've talked to, there's high expectations for the children of immigrant parents. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about maybe what your parents wanted and expected you to do? Yeah, sure. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on the show. Really excited for our conversation. I feel like this interview will be very different than some of the others that I've done that are more focused on like business and marketing. Like when we spoke earlier, I was really excited about the topics we'd cover. So you're just starting right with like the heavy hitting question. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's get in there. Well, it's such the thing. I think so many people really want to step into their heart's desire and what's going to make them happy. And there's so much weight on people's shoulders that they carry in order to do what's right for them. And so I want people to know about the journey and what it takes to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really interesting. Um, So my parents are from Iran and they came to the U.S., on the eve of the revolution and like many, many, many families in 1979. And, you know, it's interesting because if you take a poll of most Iranian Americans and ask what their professions are, um, and like generally in like, you know, the, the children of immigrants, so say like 30s, 40s, and like young 50s, you're going to end up with a lot of doctors, engineers, lawyers and dentists. And that's the stereotype. And there's a reason why it's a stereotype. It's true. There is such a huge amount of importance placed on education in our culture. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, my parents, for example, had to pack up their bags and flee the country like so many others. 
And when you have an education, something that's like tangible, like, you know, being a doctor or being a lawyer, it's like the security blanket. It's like, well, you can go to, you know, you can go to the UK or France or the US and practice, even though it's different, right? So um, there's a lot of weight placed on education. And, you know, growing up, it was interesting. I didn't feel direct pressure from my parents to be a doctor, but I wanted to be a pediatrician and I was pre-med through my first three years of university. And then I changed my mind because I volunteered at a children's hospital and I worked in a microbiology lab and I did all the things that a doctor would do or be around, like all the different ways to use that education. And I hated it. So I had my own wake up call and I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. But it's funny because it wasn't like my parents were disappointed or concerned. They were just like, okay, so you want to pivot to business. The next question's like, is there an advanced degree for that? <laughs> Literally, like, what's the degree to be a CEO? And again, it's because of the educational piece. But they weren't necessarily, you know, feeding down my throat like you must be a lawyer or an engineer or a doctor or you would won't be successful or you won't make us proud. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because, right, like when you are a child of an immigrant parents, you see how hard they work. You see how hard the day-to-day can be for them simply because it's a second language or it's a second culture or they come from a culture or a country that's misunderstood. So I put it on me, I think, more than they did, to be honest. And that makes sense because when we're little, we're taking in everything that we see and that's what we know. And that's what gets wired into our unconscious mind. So if you see your parents working really, really hard to make stuff happen, to make a better life, it by osmosis, because you're soaking everything in, it stands to reason that you would pick up those same values. Oh, I have to work hard. I have to, you know, make this sacrifice worth it. And I think on some level as children, we always want to sort of help our parents to have to feel better and be happier. And so we make up these ideas and these stories of what's going to actually make them happy. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, we might put pressure on ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they tell me they just want me to be happy. And, but then for me, like that's in my mind, that's attached to something else, like, you know, a dollar sign or having something or a status level when really like they want me to be happy. Right. Well, and it's such the thing about this country is the like idea of success is you work at a certain kind of company, you do a certain sort of business, you have a certain status and houses and all of these things that may or may not actually make you happy. <laughs> so you pivoted, you pivoted to business and you went to a very prestigious business school and then what happened? You went into, what did you do after business school? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I went in, into business school because I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I was working at a really big corporate conglomerate in finance, climbing the ladder, had like a path carved out where it was like, okay, 
you are going to do your time in these positions, in these roles. And one day you'll be the CFO of like an aircraft engines business in Cincinnati. Great, right? Some people loved the idea of that. I definitely looked around and was like, hmm, I don't belong here. I very much knew at that time, and this was like early 20s, that I wanted to love what I did so much in my work that yes, it didn't feel like work, but more that like it was this big gray blob that I was existing in. Like I'm not a nine to five person. Um, I was craving to work in a role or in an industry that didn't make me want to turn off my brain when the clock hit five. So I took the opportunity in business school to just be kind of brave about what I wanted to do. Um, I went to Harvard Business School, which was like a total dream for me and probably a bigger dream for my parents, right? Going back to this education thing. And I, I mean, I had no idea that I would get in. I didn't have like the highest test scores. I'm not a great like, you know, um, test taker. Like it just, it, it all worked out, but I wasn't a shoe in. I'll just put it that way. So when I got in, I recognized that there were two paths I could go down. I could follow the herd and go to the presentations from all these prestigious consulting firms and investment banks. And, you know, they start recruiting the second week you're in school. Like you've just walked on campus and two or three weeks later, they're showing up with their flashy presentations and taking out the smart kids to business dinners and things like that, trying to recruit them for internships. And I just had this pull that was taking me in the complete opposite direction. In fact, to make things even more interesting, I was the career rep for my section. So in business school, they break you up in sections and we were a section of 90 students. And it was my job to get everyone else to go to those presentations. I was <laughs> I was the least threatening career rep because I wasn't going to those presentations trying to like, you know, sneak my way to the front of the line. I was like, hey, you should go. Goldman Sachs is showing up. I'm going to be hanging out in the cafeteria talking to these other tech nerds about like startups and entrepreneurship and like creating a business. And that's, that's what I went in on. I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure out how I can take my passion for entrepreneurship, which I had at a very early age, and actually see what I can do. And I worked on some business plans in like the home decor space, in the like culinary space. And I was at a point where I could have tried to build one of those business ideas out into something tangible and raise money and all of that. But it didn't seem like it, it felt forced. It felt really forced. And a friend of mine who had a company of his own and had been working on it for a few years gave me some great advice. And he's like, listen, if you don't have an idea that's really drawing you in, like you can't stop thinking about it, then why not work at a startup and learn from someone else and see what it's like behind the scenes. And at the time I hated that advice because I thought it was like him telling me to be patient and I hate being told to be patient. It's like, no, I want it now. But it was a really smart piece of advice. And so after business school, I joined a 20 person startup in San Francisco and learned a ton. Uh, it was out of my comfort zone. It was in the mobile app space. 
it was a competitor to Instagram and Facebook, which was crazy because at the time we we were like, we could be the next Instagram or Facebook, but Instagram was still small. So it was it was back in 2012. And so Facebook had just bought Instagram for a billion dollars and everyone was looking around like, that's insane. That makes no sense. It's just a photo app. So we were building an app similar. And so it was a really exciting space to be in at the time. And I learned how to be a product manager, which had me in between designers and engineers making things happen. It was challenging. It was hard. Um, and yeah, I was in that role for about five years before moving on to starting my business in the culinary space. So you said you hated that advice. You thought he was telling you to be patient, basically. What I mean, that's such a thing that I find a lot of people, it's like, I just want to get to the end. I just want to get to the end. Uh, like they feel like they have to have it all figured out. And I think this is really important for the younger listeners, li the younger listeners listening, <laughs> the younger people listening is you don't have to have it all figured out a hundred percent right away that there's the, every step you take is going to give you different resources, different skills that will come together and help you in whatever it is that you really end up doing when you figure out what it is that's your like heart song. <laughs> I'm going to call I'm going to call the dream career the heart song. And so you had to suffer and learn with this company. <laughs> And I say suffering with a light heart, but um, so you had to be patient. And what was the press? What was the moment? What was the pivot point when you were like, okay, I need to step into my passion. I'm clear on what my passion is and I need to step into it and do it. What was the thing that led to that? Well, there was a natural moment when our company was acquired and you know it it wasn't it wasn't a life-changing acquisition on paper so i just want to be really clear it wasn't like i fell into millions of dollars and i was like oh what should i do with my life but it did give me some cash to take a little bit of time and take some risks at the time i was single and I don't, you know, I didn't have the family that I have now. I have two little girls under the age of two and a half. So <laughs> things look a little different. But yeah, it was it was a natural moment where I could step away from that. Now, the alternative, again, I it's like the story of two paths. There are always two paths. And at that point, there was a path of leveraging my experience in tech and being a product manager at another company. You know, I live in the Bay Area, like there are a dime a dozen here. But I couldn't think of a single company I wanted to work at, not one, you know. And prior to that, I always kind of had the dream company in mind. And for example, the startup I worked at was like at the top of my list. I mean, I was so excited to start there, even though like in my head, I knew that I wanted to start a company. That company, like to join that startup was huge for me. I was so proud of that. But I got to a point by the by the time it was over that I couldn't identify that company. There wasn't that company out there that I was drooling to get a job at. And I realized it's because that company didn't exist. Like that was the company I wanted to build. And so, you know, I I took the leap and it was 
so fun. It really was. It was fun. It was frustrating. There were highs, there were lows, but it was such a magical moment. And I look back on that now because just like I said, like I'm in a very different position now with like a partner and kids and a mortgage and, you know, all of these things. And I romanticize what it was like back in, gosh, that was 2016 when I could just wake up every day and live for myself and like truly, like truly just do whatever the heck I wanted to do <laughs> and call my parents and check in on them. That was a pretty, <laughs> that was a pretty fun time. It's what I hear in your story is there is this, that you did sort of the things you were quote supposed to, but there was always this like inner rebel that had to do it your way. Like, oh, I want to do this. I want to go into pediatrics and, and a, a recognition in when something's not right for you. Um, that moment when you were like, oh, whoa, I don't want to do this doctor pediatrician thing. And you could feel it. Tell me, can you pinpoint that feeling of when knowing something is not right for you? I mean, not very many people can grab that, but some people can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. It's interesting because I think that this is this can be a weakness and a strength, but I can be pretty like definitive at times. Like what's the right word for it? Like, I'll just know, <laughs> I'll just know. And it will be something that maybe kind of festers for a minute, but then I'll wake up one day. It's like when you need a haircut, like I need one right now. <laughs> and you're like, I need a haircut. And then that day you're like, if I don't get a haircut by the end of this week, oh my gosh, like, I, how am I going to make it? It's kind of like that. Like, I think that there are some feelings and doubts and questions that fester a little bit, but then there's a moment where it culminates and I'm like, no, like, what am I doing? Like I, you know, and, and I tend not to have a lot of doubts. Again, this, this could be a weakness. Like there are probably decisions I've made that could have required or would have been better made if I had more time and thought, but I'm pretty like, I just, I just go. And so like the decision to start my business, a lot of people were like, well, how are you going to do this? And what about that? And I just, I have this belief that it will work out. And I think going back to the whole immigrant child upbringing, you, you are raised to see like that miracles happen <laughs> and that, you know, like against all odds, like your parents figured it out. And I think that gave me this layer of confidence. Like if they can do it, like heck with my education and my experience and my network, like I can do it. Like, of course I can do it, you know? So it was, it's kind of this uh, level of confidence that I have when I make decisions. By the time I get to that point, I'm like, yeah, like this is what I'm doing. And, you know, my, my partner sometimes he's like, well, slow down. Like, let's talk through it. I'm like, what's there to talk about? Like, I'm already on the next step, but I have to realize not everyone thinks that way. And he often brings up good points that make me think, okay, maybe I should think about things for an extra two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I can relate to that on many levels. I had, I had a lot of doubts for a lot of things and I would overthink things like crazy, but those moments that I decided 
It was like an instant, like jumping out of an airplane, for an example. I literally had no adrenaline rush jumping out of an airplane because I had decided that I was going to do it. That was it. It was just, this is what I'm doing and we're doing it and there's no way to feel about it. It's just neutral. <laughs> okay. Well, I jumped out of, out of an airplane once and that was not my experience. <laughs> Adrenaline to the extreme. Oh my gosh. What am I doing? What am I doing? Why won't the parachute open? <laughs> <laughs> one and done i'm like that was amazing i'm good no need to do that's, it again <laughs> that's funny but yeah if and i've had when i chose to step into my business my current business i was like i woke up and i was i'd been mulling over it's like i'd been on the tangent tangential like edges of my brain for years and i'd say something to somebody this is before i did all the healing work and all of that but i'd say something to somebody and they'd like shit on it <laughs> and i'd be like okay i can't do that overthink think it again okay and then you'd go in the stay in the miserable job and it gets really crazy and then you have this inspiring conversation with somebody you're like maybe i can do that thing um, but once I got rid of the fears and the doubts and cleaned that stuff up out of my nervous system, everything else is just, it's a decision. And I jumped and I've had to do a lot of backtracking to pick up the skills and the stuff that I didn't have before I jumped. And some people need to get fully prepped when they make the decision and others just jump and neither way is wrong. Uh, they just come with their own set of challenges. So you jumped, you had some challenges in that first business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. I mean, I think that kind of goes back to, again, like if I spent more time researching or asking the right questions, I probably wouldn't have built the first business I built. But going back to your earlier point around being patient and the journey, that business influenced the second, which now influenced the third. So if I look at the business I have today with Culinary Creator Business School, there is zero chance I would have started this business had I not gone through those first two iterations. Because like this business like is super unique. First of all, it's not like you know, an insurance agency where it's like, oh yes, I'll do one of those. It's like I've, I'm kind of carving out a niche in a space uh, that is new. So yeah, I mean, I only came across what I'm doing today or stumbled upon it because of the ups and downs of the earlier businesses that I had. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so many of those obstacles really are there to teach you and prepare you for what that vision you ultimately have in your life is about. And I think one thing that's super inspiring about what you're doing, and a lot of people are doing this now, is people are carving out their own niches. They are pulling together the things that they love, the things that matter to them, figuring out a way to make it work so that they can have it all, so they can make the money, take care of the family, have the flexibility, and do what they love. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for people to know that it's possible. So tell us a little bit about the first business, mm -hmm. how it led to the second business. Yeah. 
And then yeah. we'll talk to the big double. We'll talk about the big double down. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So the first business I started was called Confetti Kitchen. It was a um, a food media site. So like a blog on steroids because I had other contributors. And the whole purpose was to help millennials really inspire them to eat with others at home, to really cook for others and to entertain and to host. and But to do so in a way that wasn't like out of Martha Stewart, um, which like I grew up watching Martha Stewart, tons of respect, but understanding that, you know, most millennials eat alone at night with Netflix on and but yet there's this like aspirational idea of like having friends over for brunch and hanging out, but no one knows how to cook. So how do you make that happen? And so that's what I was creating. And a lot of it was inspired by, you know, looking back, like, gosh, my parents hosted dinner parties left and right. I mean, it truly was like their way of connecting with neighbors and coworkers and building community in a very foreign place. So I didn't understand that at the time, but now I'm like, ah, duh, of course. Like, this is why food matters to me. It, it's not about, you know, um, it's not really about like physical health for me. It's not about, you know, losing weight, gaining weight or whatever. It, for me, food is actually about connection and, and being together. It gives us a reason to, to gather. And so that's what my first business was about. And it was a traditional type of media company, meaning that uh, it was supported on ads and sponsored content. And that was just a really tough business to run because advertisers pay for eyeballs and it's a little bit of a chicken <laughs> and egg problem, right? You you need money to grow your audience and you don't get money unless you have the audience. So I quickly learned, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is why most media companies have funding from you know other companies or venture capital firms. And I just didn't have that and I didn't really want to go down that route. What I had done in that business that I think was, well, I know was very important was that from the very beginning, when I launched the site, I would host pop-up dinners in San Francisco. And I had um, this super talented chef that worked with me on the content and she would cook for these uh, pop-ups that I would host. And every month we would have you know, a 30, 40, 50 person dinner. And it was so fun because we were gathering you know, our audience, our community in San Francisco in these awesome venues, and they were enjoying their meals together. And we were living our values at the um, of Competi Kitchen. And I had never really been like a party planner or really saw myself as someone who would like host events, but I was good. Like I have to look back, like I was really good. And I was like, wow, like this is a skill I didn't know I had. And I, I attribute it to my mom who is like, Go, like the Persian Martha Stewart, like she like is meticulous. And whenever we would have dinner parties, like, I mean, she just would uh, create the most, you know, hospitable environment. And so that something that I did, and I didn't really know that I had that skill in me. And I was able to create these really beautiful events with my small team. And at some point about, gosh, I would say it was even only six months or seven months, I realized that the business model wasn't working and that we were just bleeding cash, paying for content and things like that. So um, the events were kind of break even. We weren't making a lot of money on that. And I had a moment where I was like, okay, 
should I just go apply for a corporate job at Williams-Sonoma headquarters down the street? You know, I could go do something there. Yeah. Tell or, us about this, this moment. Cause this yeah, is a big moment where it people was a big moment. <laughs> jump in and, and then it gets scary. It gets real scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was definitely my first rock bottom. Um, I used to just call it my rock bottom, but now it's my first because we've had multiple. Um, <laughs> and it was a scary point where I was like, oh shoot, um, I'm running out of money and I really want this to work and I have no idea how to make it work, like none whatsoever. And so um, my sister gave me some really good advice. She's the lawyer, believe it or not, a lawyer in the family. Um, <laughs> yeah, my sister, she was like, well, no, like don't throw in the towel yet. Like I want you to pull up a spreadsheet and I want you to write down every possible way that you could make money um, and write every single idea that you have. It's like, okay, that sounds logical. I'll try that. And believe it or not, there were some great ideas. And one of those ideas was to take my experience in events and see if I could make more money from it. Rather than charge people, you know, $40, $50, $60 to attend a dinner, what if I got brands to pay? And what if I got the people in the room that the brands wanted to get their products in front of? So I tested that idea two months later in June. I had the summer solstice event and I pitched a pasta company, olive oil company, like a variety of CPG food brands. And I said, hey, I'm going to gather food bloggers. And you know, at that time I had a really good network of food content creators in the Bay Area. And I said, okay, what if I got 12 of them in a room and we created a dinner that included all of your products and we really like built like an awesome experience that wasn't like a phony, like, you know, Instagram, uh, like focused event, like one that really connected people. Um, what, what would that look like? Like how much would you be willing to pay? And I was able to get, gosh, I think five brands to pay a couple thousand dollars each. It's like, okay, that's interesting. Like that's like 10 K like and then, of course, I had the cost of the venue, and I was eating all the cost and figuring that out. And so I don't think I made much money on that first event, but I knew that that's because I you know, didn't charge enough. I could probably charge more. And so that business grew, and I loved it. That was really exciting to me. I could see how that could become a bigger like events agency, essentially. And so I moved away from the content business, and I rebranded that business the events business to um, Hidden Rhythm. So Hidden Rhythm was a business that I had for a few years, and it was an experiential marketing agency focused on food and health. And uh, experiential marketing, for those listening who don't really know that phrase, it's essentially like events and pop-ups and things that happen in real life, in person, that are usually sponsored by a brand and get you excited about them and their products. So that's what I did. I, I changed to that model and um, rebranded a few months later and had a really great trajectory. I worked with some amazing food brands, continued to increase my rates. And, you know, up until my last event, it was, uh, gosh, March, 2020, I did this <laughs> huge conference in Palm Springs and worked with a really amazing personal care brand. And like, it was just it was unbelievable. And I was there watching the news thinking, what is this thing called COVID? I should go run and get all of the hand sanitizer at the local Target, which I did, um, and shared it with the guests, the attendees at the conference. 
that we had set up this event for. Um, and then the rest is history. So yeah, so that was our last event ever uh, because we all know what happened in March. <laughs> I know it's a big, it's a big thing. It's that like oh, so many of these stories and then COVID hit and it's a big force yes. of another pivot. And I think when you're living true to what's right for you and who, who you're supposed to be, that you still figure it out when you're forced to pivot. And and I hear that in your story when your sister was like, no, don't give up. Like, let's go do this. Let's figure out like what, what you can do instead. And so the last event happened. <laughs> And of course, this is another opportunity. Hello, Cynthia, maybe you should get a regular job. <laughs> maybe you should get a regular job, but tell me what you did. Yeah, I'm stubborn, I'm stubborn. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like to be clear, like these pivots, I make them very, um, like I'm decisive, right? I know like, okay, I'm doing this. And when I'm doing it, I'm doing it. But boy, do I, I still have like those voices in the back of my head, the imposter syndrome, the self-doubt, it's there. I just don't listen to them. You know what I mean? Like that, I just don't let that stop me. Do you so, have a secret for not listening to the monkey chatter? I just don't listen. <laughs> the secret is <laughs> I not think to that's listen. Best. I mean, like the, the secret is to like not give it any airtime. I mean- I focus on what I have to do rather than like focus on the voices that are telling me I can't do something, right? So it's like I don't even give myself the time to think about it because I'm so busy with like the thing that is going to help me move forward. You know what I mean? Um, so I just keep myself busy. And so I don't even think about those things until conversations like this where I'm like, yeah, like I definitely had had those voices. Um, but I, I, I get so, I just move on. I move on very, very quickly. And that just allows me to like, not even think about the thought I had five minutes ago. Cause that was five minutes ago. Like we're, we're past that. So yeah, I mean, gosh, March, 2020, um, I'll set the stage for you. You know, I was six months pregnant with our first daughter. It was of course the pandemic. Um, my husband and I had gotten married, gosh, the prior July and I had just come off of one of my biggest events and my pipeline for the year was my biggest yet. I mean, I had like some multi-city tours lined up with some well-known chefs. There were some really cool things happening. Oh man. Yeah. But here's the thing that's like, like, I don't really mourn that too much because Deep down, I didn't want to do those events. That's the secret. Oh. I've never told anyone. I've never told anyone this. I feel so blessed that you shared that with us. Like I kind of didn't want them to happen. And maybe part of it's because they were big and it was going to become a challenge for me. But also, I so I had spent the prior year and a half, two years, learning about online business models, learning about building an email list and digital marketing. And um, I loved what I was learning there because I was like, wait a minute, you're telling me I can replace like a full-time income by uh, just like sitting in front of my computer anywhere in the world? Like, yes, sign me up. 
So what, real quick, what had you, what sparked that curiosity? I, I had a dinner with a friend of mine in LA and when was this? This was, I was in LA for a food conference and she was like, have you heard of Amy Porterfield? No. She's like, oh, like she's the queen of digital courses because we were talking about different business models. And my friend is a food blogger and cookbook writer. And she was like, I want to create a course on food styling. And so she started talking about this woman, Amy Porterfield. I'm like, huh, what? And I Googled and gosh, I just was like, oh my gosh, this woman's amazing. She's full of tactical advice, like no BS. Her podcast just gives it all. And I ended up in her ecosystem and and started to learn from her for free and then paid to take one of her programs, um, actually a few of them. And it was interesting because I, at the time, thought that I would create an online course to help people create better events for their brands. I was going to apply it to my world of experiential marketing because, again, I knew I was like, well, wait a minute. Um, I don't want to be traveling the country nonstop to do these events and I also don't want to hire a bunch of 20-year-olds out of college and unsupervised just have them roaming around under my brand. Like, how is this going to work in the long term? And I kind of looked ahead and saw that I didn't like where that was going to be. And so I knew that I needed to balance that in-person-based business with an online income stream. So I thought I would create a course on this topic. And my plan was to create that course in September 2020. That was my master plan. I thought, oh, I'd have a baby and then a few months later create a course because of that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so again, March 2020, everything's wiped out. So then I, I'm in Amy Porterfield's mastermind group and she's like coaching people through this crisis we're experiencing. And she's like, listen, like show up, show up here every day to this Facebook group. We're going to like work on an idea for a course that you're going to pre-sell, you're going to validate it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, great. So long story short, the course that I was trying to create for September 2020, I moved it back, launched it at the end of April, uh, and it was called Online Experiences for Food Brands. I basically wanted to help my event clients create immersive experiences online since they could no longer do events in the real world. Well, I put it out there and guess who signed up? No food brands. Oh. <laughs> chefs, 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 chefs. I had chefs, caterers, bakers, chocolatiers, like the most interesting people, the most interesting solopreneurs signed up. And I was like, wait, what is going on? Oh, of course. They want to learn how to make some money because their restaurants are shut down. The weddings that they're catering are getting canceled. And I didn't even know that that market wanted this, was looking for this. And I was kind of speaking to them. And the minute I saw that they were interested, I just shifted everything. I was like, okay, like I'm all in. Let's go, chefs. And um, yeah. (laughs) I have have a little suspicion that once you realize that, like my sense about you is that was way more exciting to you. A thousand percent. You nailed it. Yes, yes, yes. Like I, and that's why I don't look back at my old business longingly wishing I could re rebuild it. I have no desire because the, 
the fulfillment that I get by working with these entrepreneurs. I mean, it's awesome. And I, I mean, I'm jealous. Like I wish I could have gone to culinary school. Maybe I will, maybe I will in like my sixties, but I love learning from them. And then I've got the business skills that they are craving so desperately. So it's a fun group to be around and to support. And I'm so glad it worked out that way. And that was basically the evolution of what is now Culinary Creator Business School. I rebranded and whatnot, but that's basically what I do now. I help chefs and other professionals in the culinary industry create income streams by teaching online. I love it. And one thing that really, I am of the mindset that the universe is working for you. Universe, God, whatever, the divine. (laughs) And those horrible obstacles that happen, COVID, uh, not making any money, those points where you can choose what you used to do or pivot into something new. It's like every pivot brought you closer to where you are. And what I'm hearing is that you really, this is where you were meant to be, but you had to pick up some skills and learn some things along the way to really live that fullest expression of who you are doing what you're supposed to do here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And one thing that I've come around to is this idea that like, this is what I'm meant to be doing right now. And when I remove the idea of permanence in like any sort of role, it it also just removes the pressure because I, I do think like growing up, I, it was always like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And even now, like like my daughter, her preschool, they have a career day where they dress up as what they want to be. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know? Um, and I think what I've gotten more and more comfortable with is this idea that it's fluid and I like I want to believe that I'm going to be doing what I'm doing forever because it's exciting and amazing but I now know like that's a naive way for me to think about things like I know that in 5 years what I'm doing is probably going to be somewhat different now maybe I still have like this program but like there are other things added or I don't know and I'm just trying to get more and more comfortable with that because the perfectionist in me, the, the control freak in me wants to be like, this is it. This is my identity. This is what I do. Like, here it is packaged up in a pretty bow. But the reality is that's not how it works, right? Well, and the reality is you are who you are and what you do has no bearing on who you actually are. So if this is bringing you fulfillment and joy right now, then it's exactly what you're meant to do. And if that changes, great, that changes. Who you were 10 years ago is not the same as who you are now. And so the plan you make right now is not necessarily going to be the thing that's going to fulfill you 30 years from now. You don't know. And I think one of the big be the wolf qualities is being able to pivot and lean into what feels good, what feels expansive, what feels in alignment. You said it earlier in alignment with my values, living your values. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, like there's no way what I'm doing right now is going to be what I'm doing in five years. Like, right. Like you either get bored, something changes, like, 
and it's just it's exciting to think about how things can grow um so yeah i guess we'll see i love that's what i love about interviews like this like we'll we'll see right come back and listen to this in five years (laughs) exactly so tell tell everybody who what what you have available for people to step into who steps into your school, what they yeah. get, how to find you, how to follow you, all of the things. Tell us all absolutely. the things. All the things. Yeah, absolutely. So my company is called Culinary Creator Business School. And in that, we have a few different things. So I have a podcast that you can check out, same name. Um, and I do interviews with others in the culinary industry who are teaching online. So if you are listening to this and you um, – are you know in the culinary industry or pastry or health and nutrition we have you know registered dietitians in our program um if you touch food in any way and you want to teach people you know what you love in the kitchen and do so online um, then definitely check out my podcast and then what i do offer right now is a six-month group coaching program where i walk you through start to finish how to teach your first online cooking class in 90 days or less, and then build that next level offer, whether it's recorded courses, or if you want to have, um, if you want to teach corporate classes, that's a really popular channel. So uh, basically, if you, you know, are looking to find a way to monetize your culinary skills and do so online from the comfort of your own kitchen and not have to travel and deal with events or anything like that, um, I would love to be a resource. So you can go to culinarycreatorbschool.com. That's where you can learn more about everything we offer. We also have a free audio training you can check out um, that walks you through the four proven ways to make money teaching cooking online. And then on Instagram, I'm at Culinary Cynthia. And uh, it is me on the other side. So send me a DM and I'd love to connect. Beautiful. And I think it's really important. A lot of people that are in the food industry, I spent many, many years in the food and beverage industry and the kitchen People in the kitchen do not, they work the, They work like dogs, they work themselves to the bones, and they don't make a lot of money typically. And so I have such high respect for people that chase careers in the culinary world because typically it is not a huge money-making world. It is almost always for the passion and the love. So I love that you are helping people in that field to make money and be able to not necessarily have to work 70, 80 hours a week on their feet. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's really uh, inspiring the types of students that I work with. I mean, one of my students was a restaurant chef for years and was diagnosed with a medical condition that uh, actually impacted his ability to taste Mm. and he and also consume salt so he actually can't have any salt so like wow being in the industry you know what that means i mean like everything has salt and butter so yep he had to step away from the profession which you know he spent years decades in and like that i mean you can imagine the impact there where you're like forced to leave a career that you love and so we're working together on creating a program so that he can help people who also have the same condition eat restaurant quality meals at home. Like how so cool, right? Like it gives me chills. It gives me goosebumps because he's like found his people 
and yeah. he, you know, is helping solve a real problem for them. And those people are willing to pay. That's the thing. Like, it's crazy. You know, he's going to be making so much more money than he did on his feet in the restaurant, but even more like the impact he's making. Like, I just, yeah. I know it's going to be amazing for him. So that's an example. And um, yeah, it's the hard, the hardest working people I swear are, are in the culinary industry, but definitely the most, some of the most underpaid. And I'm hoping to, you know, help rebalance that because the skills and knowledge that they have are so valuable and everyone loves food, right? Everyone loves to talk yep. about food and eat food. But when it comes to paying, <laughs> people yeah. get really like weird with that. So I'm, I'm trying to change that and help my students earn what, they, love what their education's worth. Yeah, absolutely. What their experience is worth. I love it. I love it. And for those of you who are ready and willing and totally wanting to live a life where you get to be who you're born to be, where you get to overcome those voices and take those brave steps, double down on yourself when another thing goes wrong. If you're ready to step into a career you love, you can reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. You can go to book a call with Jenea. And if you are on your phone right now, open up a browser and type in, <laughs> if this sounds good to you, type in book a call with Jenea. And that's G-E-N-E-A.com. All right, Cynthia. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, your knowledge, and helping people really know and understand that you can create a life and do something you love, create a life doing something that you love and you're passionate about. Even if we didn't have a model for it, I think a lot of us didn't have a model for that growing up. So mm -hmm. it's so important for us to see people doing it to know that it's possible. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me, Jenea. All right. Okay, everybody, we will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.